Welcome to Protectors. We got to hit that record button. We are back. And BC Sanders is in a co-host seat, probably for the 15th, 20th time. And we are welcomed by Travis Mills. Travis was on the episode four years ago. Episode yep. number 54, November 2nd, 2019. Welcome back to the show, Travis. No, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Um, just fired up. I'm not sure why I'm not in the co-host seat sometimes. If he gets to do it 20 times. and I like, But you know what? It's cool. Shout out my self-esteem. Whatever. You know what? For now on, you're going to be the co- whenever I get someone on, I'm going to be like, hey, you know what? That'd be a good guest for Travis. Let's get Travis on. I love having co-hosts. It makes my life a hell of a lot easier. A lot of times I'm just mentally blocked and I'm like, uh, what are we talking about today? No, I get it. I get it. I uh, I sit there and just blank stare off into nothingness all the time. So I get what you're saying. Uh, I have a co-host named Tim for my podcast. He does all the work. I just tell jokes. That's what it should be. You know, yeah. I need BC to be telling the jokes. And we were gonna today. We're gonna do. We're gonna tell everybody what BC's real name is, his home address, and we're gonna scroll <laughs> his phone up on, down below. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, that'll be good. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of bouncing back, I mean, that's we're gonna talk about the book today. Bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know, twelve warrior principles reclaim and recalibrate your life by Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, U.S. Army retired, forward by Jocko Willink. That's right. That's right. You know, we, I like to tell people, I'm like, look, the books are great talking about the books and promoting them and having people buy them. Look, you know what the books out there right now, but I really like just have a conversation and, you know, getting these books out there and getting a word out there is the biggest thing, Mm -hmm. you know, bouncing back. Look, I'm, you know, when you were talking about, when I was talking about like just kind of blanking out, there's a lot of like a lot of things in the world and life that, everyday people you just blank out and you're just like where am i at right now well i'll tell you what i actually i just got back at midnight from albuquerque new mexico um and then i'm back out to denver in two days uh, for speaking so I, that's that's what inspired me actually to write the book um when i go and i speak to audiences um i, you know, I have a great time doing it right i i feel like i'm fairly successful at it uh, not to toot my own horn <laughs> beep beep but when i do that i try to relate to everybody and I tell them, you know, your biggest problem is your biggest problem. Don't downplay what you're going through because of my injuries, because my injuries are unique and they're mine. But don't, you know, make yourself feel like you're less important. Your issues are less important. And as I would talk to the audiences and then I'd get done and I'd go meet and greet people and shake hands and meet people and everything, people would tell me their stories. Oh, my gosh, stage four cancer. Like just last night or two nights ago, like lady was like, I'm stage four cancer. I need to hear this message. Another guy was like, my son's. I'm um, going through a rough time, post-traumatic stress. Um, he's a first responder. He's a firefighter and saw some stuff. And and because we have a program at my foundation that helps first responders um, with post-traumatic stress and things like that. So I thought, you know, how can I relate to people more and have them see that what they go through is is um, is normal? It's not unique in a way where it hasn't been done before. So that's why I took other people's stories uh, in the book. You know, we have a cancer survivor, a widower, um, a house fire, a divorce. Um, you know, in some other, in some other regular sexual abuse and, and drug addiction and things like that. And people that went to the very bottom and how they in fact bounced back. And that, uh, luckily my collaborative author, Kathy Huck, who was a genius, um, she found research articles and all these different studies and theories, um, by psychologists and doctors and things about what your brain does and how your body reacts to certain things. And I just thought, you know what, that's what I wanted to know because 
when people ask me like, oh my gosh, like Travis, how, how did you do it? I'm like, I just had to. And they're like, yeah, but how? I'm like, well, like I had to. And that was like the, the best answer I had. You know, I couldn't like break it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have three doctorates. They're honorary. So I am a mm-hmm. learned man. I've, uh, I've been in my alma maters all, but like, I think all, all one or two days of the, the whole entire time to get my degree, you know, on the graduation day, I went there and hung out. But, uh, <laughs> but, but my thing was, I was fortunate to, to uh, get better. And I didn't understand it mentally, like what steps I took or what things, you know, I, I made make sense to me on why to get better. So this is why I wrote the book. So people can have like actual, like, oh, wow, someone's been through the same thing I'm going through right now and theories and studies behind why they're able to do it. That's the biggest thing is like, you know, a lot of people don't like what, like the veterans affairs, a lot of troops won't come forward be like, well, you know what? Somebody else out, out there has it worse than I do. Somebody else, you know, has lost limbs. Somebody else is like, you know, can't see. And they don't want to go step forward yeah. and seek help because they, they feel like they're not worthy of it or they haven't done as much as somebody else does. And you brought up a great point about the first responders. They're like, well, you know what? Cops have been doing this for such and such years and, and you know, the ambulance crews and everybody else. They've seen so many things. I've only seen something, you know, why should I step forward? And then the next thing you know, the the police um, suicide rates is, is just as high or if not higher than the military. Oh, I mean, it's insane. And that's why I was so fortunate to uh, have my foundation partner with uh, Warrior Path Program, which is one of the best in the nation for post-traumatic stress uh, for combat veterans and first responders. Um, it's going really well, I'll be honest with you. And we're very grateful to have uh, that partnership going. And then, you know, besides for that, like everybody wants to be a tough guy, right? And I'll admit, I, I'm the same way. Um, uh, okay. Um, but back to what I was talking about where everybody wants to be a tough guy and I didn't do mental health the right way. I admit that. Like I ignored the mental health person three times. Until uh, they finally quit coming to my room when I was first injured. Uh, the social worker they gave me to talk to, the second session, I, I told her this is not the movies. Like, mm-hmm. we are not going to automatically have a breakthrough and we're going to be best friends. And I'm going to tell you my whole life story. I said, we're not going to do that. And it's cool if you just like, if you want to just stop now because I'm, it's just going to waste both of our, our day um, every time I got to come here. And that's how I handled it, right? But I had strength and community. And I think when people are able to have other people in the same situation, it helps them open up and feel more uh, comfortable with, um, you know, what they're feeling and what they're going through. And um, it's nice to have the Warrior Path program that we're part of because there's different people that have been to the program that are the path guides that train it. So it's train the trainer style, non-medical, non-clinical. And everybody's got their own, you know, path they're taking or journey through. And um, I don't know, it's just cool to be able to have that as a partnership. Yeah, I'm going to jump in. I think I think that one of the problems or one of the facets of the spike in first responder suicides and and police specifically is oftentimes officers or detectives or or police leaders do feel isolated, especially as they go up in rank. Sometimes you're even told that in organizations like now you're getting to a higher level, you can't fraternize. So, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can't hang out with the officers and detectives, you've got to, you know, only hang out with your rank. I never um, subscribed to that. I just didn't, I didn't dig it, but I believe that a lot of people start to feel isolated in that sense in the stuff that they're seeing 
even though they may be on a squad, on a team, everyone processes it differently. And if you introduce any kind of alcohol or depressive like that or depressant, you, you start to see it. I, I think that just systemically, that's what we're looking at right now is maybe the isolation portion where you said you've got community or you've got, you know, people that are coming in to talk to you. Uh, I, I know of a lot of guys and girls out there that, that don't have that. And that's, that's a huge problem. And, and then seeing things on social media and the news and just feeling that whole vibe. It's the same as it was in, in 68 to probably 70 or 71 for police right yeah. now, if you study history, but, uh, and probably same, very similar things for soldiers coming back from Vietnam and and maybe not feeling that, you know, the public's there for them or feeling that isolation, that level of isolation. Well, I think there's also a lot of people coming back from the wars of Afghanistan and Iraq now thinking like, wow, this is just like Vietnam. Like there's nothing resolved, just mm-hmm. wasted, wasted my time over there. Um, and it's hard to find what the purpose, uh, you know, was. And I think, you know, you get that coupled with, everybody's telling you you have post-traumatic stress. Everybody's telling you you have a problem, right? The yeah. word veteran now becomes like a negative, like, oh, you're a veteran? What's wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why instead we call it, like, I don't like to be called a wounded warrior, you know? Nothing against the Wounded Warrior Project. People think that's maybe why, but it's just I think the word wounded has negative connotations. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're wounded? Oh. And I'm like, no, I got scars. Like, I was. I was mm-hmm. wounded. Um, so I just say recalibrate a warrior, but I go by Travis. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, my thing is I had to, like, find my new normal. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that there's there's a there's a good balance out there um, that you have to find with when you get out of the military or, you know, the police force or things like that. Um, you used to have purpose and direction and, and, you know, get told where to go, what to do, what to say, how to act. You knew how to respond to any situation. And then you go to, like, sit on the couch, and it's like, well, now what, you know? And I, I admit, like, I jumped out of airplanes since my injuries. Uh, I went cage diving like with, with sharks in the aquarium. It wasn't like the great mm-hmm. whites like I want next time. Um, but the adrenaline rush is never, ever going to be the same as, as like getting in a firefight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, your blood starts going. You're ripping rounds back and forth. You're, you're moving. You're taking on, you know, it's just like this, this adrenaline rush you're never going to have again. And I think, I think maybe I, I've never been a police officer or a firefighter, you know, running into a fire or, you know, breaking into a, like going into a house to like save somebody. Um, but I'm sure it's the same kind of adrenaline rush. And then when it's all, when all, you know, when it's all done, you're like, man, now what? Like life's never gonna be as exciting. Yeah. I mean, I get excited cause like I got my kids and stuff. Yeah. But. I think, I think with when you shift like that, like a lot of people have asked me that too. And, and Jason, I've talked about it when you go in <clears throat> to retirement and what you're looking at and what some people call the afterlife, it is that idea of like, oh, you're not going to be in a car chase again, or you're not going to be in a foot pursuit or use of force or whatever, exchanging gun for us. Like, yeah, but, but there's a lot more to policing and to life than that. But when that happens and you do catch somebody with a gun or you do catch a, a homicide suspect or you get in a foot pursuit and all of that is absolutely incredible. And that's why I tell people like the job is not dead. Seek police work, wherever it is, just find the agency that's right for you. That's all. It's like, you're now a free agent and and you're you yeah. know, joining the NFL or whatever, like find, find a team that is, is best for you, but pursue it. And we need it. And we still need people to have that mindset of, yeah, I, I enjoy this aspect of human behavior. You know what I mean? 
And it doesn't mean that we're bad. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us, that we have no problem with violence and we have no problem dealing it when we have to, but it's for the greater good. And that, and that occurs when people peek out of their windows in a neighborhood or they give you that kind of like that thumbs up or that, that chest pound or tap, like, Hey, I'm, I'm watching you. I need you in the neighborhood, but also I can't step out on my front porch and say hello. Cause I got bloods or crips or whoever, you know, down the street. Yeah. When we, when we feel that it's like, yeah, we do get the support of society much like, you know, soldiers or veterans returning to the U S and feeling like, yeah, we did a good job. We destroyed, you know, Al Qaeda or we destroyed this terrorist organization or this foreign force. Like we did our job and now, you know, life is better anywhere on earth. Well, if you don't see those results, kind of like what people, like you said earlier, like you come back and you go, well, what was it for? What's going on? Why, why are things changing this way? Why are we pulling out the same way in the police world? You, you work on a unit for three or four years and you see the neighborhood change and you have actually dismantled an entire gang set. And you're like, yeah, we spiked the football. Citizens are happy. And then a year later, you're right back to square one because departments have gone reactive and not and not done that or officers haven't felt supported. Yeah, I've come across a lot of uh, police officers that that are no longer police officers because they didn't feel supported. And they're just getting into other things like real estate or you know, trying to hand somewhere else. And yeah, I think it's just a sad thing that we've unfortunately went to. Uh, I think there's a, now they're redirecting it. It's coming back around, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's what happens. And, and I'm not saying like my time over in Afghanistan was pointless. Don't get me, I'm, that's not what I'm getting at. I just mean mm-hmm. that um, a lot of people probably have a hard time finding like, what was it all for? Whereas me, like mm-hmm. I went for the guy to my left and my right. Right. That's all I went mm-hmm. for. Um, and I, and I truly enjoyed it, but like the hardest day I've had, um, in my life, probably it, it wasn't even the blow up, right? The blow up was easy. I walked into mm-hmm. it within seconds. <laughs> I was blown up and then on operating table and knocked out for four days, right? Mm-hmm. Waking up in the hospital, mm-hmm. fine. I had no arms and legs like that sucked, but, um, retiring. Like I, I fought to retire the whole time. And I was at Walter. I just wanted to retire. I was like, yeah, I got, I got things. I got life to live. I got shit to do. And uh, I retired and I went to my in-laws house and I sat on the edge of the bed where we were going to stay for a couple months because my house in Maine was getting built. And I was sitting there in Texas and just like started crying and sobbing like uncontrollably. And mm-hmm. I was just like lost. I'm like, who am I? Right. Like in high school, I was a captain of the football, baseball, and basketball team and uh, the army. I was staff sergeant, Travis Mills, leader of combat soldiers, always promoted above everybody else, like above my peers and always did a grade, like a job above my, my pay grade. You know, I was trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then at the hospital, even at the hospital, I was looked at as someone that was a mentor and people would come talk to me and ask for help and advice. And, um, and I would, you know, I'd work out with them and, and give them, you know, positive reinforcement. And then I got out everything I fought for, everything I fought for. Okay. Now I'm retired. And now I'm like, what do I have left? to give and what is my life supposed to be because this is not what my plan was. And, um, luckily at the time, like my wife came in, saw me, I never showed that kind of emotion. So she's like, what's going on? And I told her, I was like, I don't know who I am. And, uh, I just started speaking. Uh, my documentary was, uh, getting ready to come out. And then I, I started working out my buddy, Dave Mavora, um, who has a nonprofit now, Adept Training Foundation, uh, out in Texas. I helped him kind of come up with the, he came up with the idea from working out with me. Um, and realizing that there was a need for it. So, so yeah, I had to like refine my purpose and direction, but that was like, that was like the roughest thing. Cause I'm like, who am I? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a, 
that's, that's just a challenge sometimes to find out what your identity is. I mean, now, now I'm awesome, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, of and, course. and I'm humble in that order. <laughs> Very humble. Yeah. yeah. Now, but yeah. the thing is, is you, um, like having that other mission and I've noticed so many people that have come on, come on a show is like, and really just kind of like the protective aspect of it is Yeah. You want to protect other people, but the big thing is giving back. There's a certain crew of people like that, that when they sign up for anything, they're doing it for the reason that they want to give back. They want to support society. They want to give back to the greater good. Some people do it for personal reasons. Hey, they need money. They, they join a service. They need, they, they want to become a cop. That's good health benefits. But you giving back, and that, and that's where it gets into your foundation work, and it gives back to your speeches. You're always giving back, so it's a different mission for you. And like you said before, and you said well, the first time you came on a show was recalibrate. You're not the same person you were before, but you recalibrated. Now you're still giving back, but just in a different way. May not be like the same adrenaline fueled in the in the heat in a moment combat, but you're still giving back to other people who need that that hand up. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. So, uh, Kelsey and I were at the hospital, and we started to do care packages overseas. Started the nonprofit, the Travis Mills Foundation. Um, you know, pretty unique name. I, I'm not sure where I came up with it, but uh, but we started it when I was still at the hospital. And then we had these people in Maine that wanted to do this Travis Mills project, where they had they were going to bring out families like mine, uh, show them how to do things adaptively. They started raising money for it. It got too big for them to handle. Like, hey, we're going to let it fizzle out. And here I am, like, I just went promoting this all around the state of Maine where I'm not even from. My wife's from here originally, but like I don't, the people are donating like all this money. So I said, we'll take it on. So we took it on and it became our new mission for the Travis Mills foundation. Where we bring out eight families um, that have been through physical injuries due to service. Could be stateside or overseas um, spinal cord, you know, uh, injuries. Maybe they're in a wheelchair. Maybe they're uh, amputees like me. Um, something that was physically done where it holds them back from, from, uh, regular everyday life and we bring them out somebody things adaptively and um it's gone really well we went from we were going to do it two weeks out of the year and then seven weeks out of the year and now uh next year we're going to run like 41 weeks in person and we have a few mm-hmm. off-site programs too and we're one of the top veteran service organizations in the nation which is awesome and uh i'm not like in charge of a lot of things um I that's a lie. I am. If I need to override or overrule somebody, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I could technically, but behind this computer that you don't see is Heather, who's actually the executive director, and she's a real boss. And she's mm-hmm. younger than me, smarter than me. She's vicious. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when she's having a bad day, she'll just fire someone randomly, just to make <laughs> herself feel better. Yeah, I oh shit. That's what she does. She's just like she's like, oh, I'm having a bad day. She's like, you, you're fired. And, you know, then that person hey. looks at me. I'm like, sorry, see ya. Yeah. You know, it was my mom. It was the weirdest thing. She fired yeah. my <laughs> I'm just kidding. She had a rough phone call before this. So I'm trying to make her laugh a little bit. She's like, uh, we're good. Yeah. You ever just have people that that think that they that they have a say in something and then they they pester you. And then because mm-hmm. you're nicer because you're nicer than than Travis Mills, you take a phone call. Mm-hmm. And then all the phone call does is make you mad. And then Travis Mills comes in and says, just hang up. What's it matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she's just like, shut up. I'm on a meeting. And I'm like, seriously, hang up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she wouldn't. Yeah. So if I had a middle finger, you know what I'm saying, boys? <laughs> but anyway, that's way off on a tangent. My bad. I'm just saying I've been fortunate to find purpose and direction and, and to still serve. And, um, you know, it's, it's really awesome. We're able to expand the programs. 
and do the work that we do because people believe in us. And um, the biggest promise I've always made is I'll never take a dime, you know, from mm -hmm. the foundation. I don't get paid. I don't get a bonus, no salary, nothing. And um, and I and fortunately I don't need it. You know what I'm saying? If times were tight, obviously I'd be taking all the monies for myself because yeah. <laughs> I'm all about numero uno, boys. Numero <laughs> right. uno. Well. <laughs> It's probably the same, you know, your mindset, you were saying like you were excelling in the military, you got promoted ahead of, ahead of grade. Um, it was really good. At compliments. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, first I, mean, sergeant, like, I found this 30 pack. It's your favorite flavor. Can you believe that? Right, great haircut. Right. It's a great haircut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but that idea of, and, and I learned this uh, in the army as well. And then um, at other assignments, I worked at UPS. I had great supervisors. But that mindset of like a really good leader takes care of people yeah, and teaches and, and does everything they can to make that person's life easier or better. So this idea of now finding your, your, you know, purpose is like, you're, you're getting to do that now. You know what I mean? It like, it taps into that part of you that says, okay, I can still help others. I can still kind of build this foundation in this environment that is going to, bring people in and make them feel better and at least, tr you know, try to help them out as best I can. I, it, it was the opposite. You know what I mean? Like, and you know that like in the military, when, when I got out and people were like, Oh, I'd never go in the army because they yell and scream at you or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you get that in basic and yeah, you're your fire team leader, your squad leader, or platoon sergeant, first sergeant. Yeah. You're going to get smoked, but also you've got these leaders that are teaching you that because they actually care about you. You yeah. know, you, you don't, you don't always get that in any other type of leadership role in the, in the civilian world. I mean, UPS, I got it, but it was because of the culture of the um, company. But man, just that idea of, of taking care of people and building an environment where you can take care of others uh, is, is pretty incredible. I tell you what, I love that when people are like, I was going to join, but you know, I probably would have fought the drill sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I had one guy like, I probably would have just killed too many people overseas. You know, like, hey, you're <laughs> yeah. real tough. You're real tough, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the funny thing, I, I met a guy one time and he did the same thing. We were all just kind of sitting around talking and yeah, yeah. I'm very, very good at nerding it up. And I don't tell people a lot of times about like how I grew up or my background or anything. And so when people figure out that I was in the military, they're, they're often surprised. Well, we were sitting around myself and these other guys talking and the military came up and, and, you know, we started talking about our experiences Well, this other guy walks up and he's like, yeah, uh, I really loved the Marine Corps. I love the the uniforms, but, you know, I, I couldn't join because my parents wouldn't let me. <laughs> That's the worst excuse I'd ever heard. Now I just look at him. He's a grown man. And I look at him like, dude, I understand if you were 17 and nobody mm -hmm. would sign for you, but when you're 18, you can do whatever you want to do. No, you don't understand. In my family, they made me go to college. I'm like, nah, yeah, what, made, what difference yeah. does it make? Like, if you didn't want to yeah. join, don't join. Yeah. I, I mean, man, I, I knew plenty of people that were like, well, I should have. Like, No, you should not have. <laughs> if you didn't want full commitment, you don't go into a total institution half-assed. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, not it, what it you might, do. And I don't mind. Like, I have no – like, it was volunteer. Nobody forced mm -hmm. me to. I wanted to. So I, I get it. But when people sit there like, well, I, I – I, I was going to, but I was afraid I was going to fight. So, like, the, you know, I'm like, okay, and once yeah. you go see those drill sergeants, they tell me what yeah. you're going to do, you know. But <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm I'm yeah. proud of what I got to do. I'm thankful I had the opportunity, and I just had like one bad day at work. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. see it coming. I just kind of walked into early retirement. 
Now, if I can jump in, just to ask, I always like to know like what motivated an individual no. to sign that paper and go do it. Well, actually, on my personal Facebook, which if we're friends on there, uh, you'll see I put a video up uh, from TikTok about the guy talking about the 82nd Airborne Division okay. and um, basically how awesome 82nd is. But the Band of Brothers, I always watch Band of Brothers. and I was like, yeah, I want to do something like that. Yeah. And then I was in college and turned out that college wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there to play football, but I only stood on the sidelines the whole season. I was super mm-hmm. good at it. And then, <laughs> no, I was. I was there. All, that's how I know because I was there all season. But um, <laughs> Has redshirted, whatever. <laughs> but then I just came home and I, my mom and dad had these rules. Like, I had my own mm-hmm. apartment at 18, two and a half hours away from home. And oh. I came back to my the next semester at college. My mom and dad were like, You got to be out at this time. You can't go out at this time. And I'm like, Who are you <laughs> talking to? I'm like, mm-hmm. That's it. I don't like your rules. I'm going to go to a place where there's no rules. I'm an adult. I'm going to the army. And, uh, <laughs> there's no rules there. <laughs> oh, I showed them. I showed <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I just, uh, I missed the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood of the football mm-hmm. team I was on. And I was, was interested with the military, and I narrowed it down. It was between the Air Force, um, the Marines, and the Army. Mm-hmm. And the Marine guy was pretty intense, right? But I had student debt, so there was no bonus. So that was out. Mm-hmm. The, the Air okay. Force had a really cool, like, um, a lineman program where you get your journeyman's card, you get out, you can be a lineman. I'm like, my mom was like, if you're going to go in service, you're going to go do something that you can use when you get out. And I was like, yeah, you're right, mom. And the lineman course looked pretty cool. And I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome. I can get out, have it all set up. Mm-hmm. Then with the Army's office, and they showed me airborne infantry video. I went there asked about being an electrician. Like, yeah. check, but check this out. Check this airborne out. infantry kicking doors in and everything. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yes. I said, but but what? tell me more. And the guy said, I'll give you 20. Here's the thing. I don't tell people this. Mm-hmm. Because my buddy Reggie was going through the same thing I was going through. Um, with like college, we weren't fitting in college really. Where he was going to college, didn't really want to do that. We decided we're going to go to the military. I was bringing him in, right? So they offered me twenty seven thousand dollars signing bonus. Oh my gosh! Oh, the BF program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that stupid recruiter that he had signed him up a day earlier. He goes, "Hey, do you get three grand if you go before him?" And Reggie didn't know he's stealing my money. So then (laughs) Reggie went and got my three grand sign on, like for getting somebody, and I only got twenty four thousand. Oh, uh, you know what though? Yeah. It's the first time I talked about that in years. So the wound's still deep, but uh, <laughs> and hey, he's 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 actually still in. He's doing really well. He's a crew chief now. He went to his infantry, oh, okay. um, but he switched over to be a crew chief. I think he was with the one sixtieth uh, there for a oh, while. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But anyways, so I don't know. I I knew I wanted to do college, so I knew Army was going to pay for the college when I wanted to go. Uh, and then I ended up really enjoying the military. Like I tell a joke on my second point that when I was gone, my wife bought a house. And I mm-hmm. called her one day and she's all fired up. She bought a house and I was like, Hey, how, how'd you do that? They're like, you're in college. You have no income. And she's like, well, you remember that uh, power of attorney that you signed? <laughs> and I was like, you know, so she did yeah. buy a house with the power of attorney, but I had just reenlisted and I knew we were going to be stable. So we bought a house together. She just found paperwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I reenlisted, I wrote a high heart boobs on my hand. So when the mm-hmm. captain said, raise your right hand, wham, <laughs> hit him with the I heart boobs. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's funny that a lot of people, and you know that you're sitting around in basic, you know, and you're just looking around like we all look like a bunch of misfits. Like we're all from oh, different, yeah. different towns, different cultures, different countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always say like 10% of my, I was in infantry as well. Like 10% of my mm-hmm. um, company was born in another country. Oh, I'm working on getting their citizenship, you know, yeah. so I just, man, I, 
I loved my time. It, it paid for my college. It set me up. You know, when I got out on the street as a cop, you know, people were like, man, you're just too nice to people. And I'm like, why would I not be nice? You got, yeah. you know, you got to, you got to establish dominance. I'm like, man, I got this situation <laughs> under control. Like if I got to switch gears, yeah, it's going to go that way, but yeah, I'm not going to be known as the guy that gets out of the car beating his chest. And it, but that came from, you know, people were insecure, you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hell half of them had never even been in a street fight. It was like, Jeez. even the, I, uh, the drill sergeants, or I mean, the, in the, you know, the basic, you can tell the guys that joined cause they were picked on in high school. You're like, Oh, Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, my, my dad, my dad had told me about like the, he called it the fire in the belly or whatever it was. He's like, man, you're going to get in the basic. I was real quiet, real like laid back. And he had been in the army, uh, in the, in the late sixties. And he was like, look, you, you joined those long rifles. That's what they called them. Back. He's like, you joined the infantry, like get ready. But when you're in basic, man, don't, don't fall for this stuff. He's like, you can have these dudes coming in there screaming, yelling, acting all tough. He's like, they probably won't even graduate. He's like, watch mm-hmm. the guys who don't volunteer for anything. You stay quiet. You fly under the radar. If they tell you to do something, you do it twice as fast as everybody else. He's like, and, and you'll be fine. I was like, that's the best advice I ever had, man. Yeah, my dad was in the Army as well, and he taught me a couple things. He said, hey, look, you want to go to infantry? That's fine. He was a mechanic, right? My dad was hes very, very uh, good at that stuff. He goes, but let me tell you something. Don't mess, mess – uh, make sure you take care of finance, take care of the mechanics, and definitely take care of your S1. And I found out real quick, when you go on leave, you, you slide 50 bucks to that guy – you get yeah. your leave approved, and that paperwork <laughs> goes away. You give S one fifty bones, and you're done. I mean, I had, I had like two hundred or hundred and some days saved up for leave. I wanted every single oh, leave that's ever. Awesome. But you know awesome. what I'm saying? It's like, hey, here's yeah. fifty bucks, make yeah. it go away. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and there was that, and then also like in basic, I couldn't find on the radar. I tried, but I was six mm-hmm. foot three, two hundred like thirty pounds, oh, football yeah. player, and they yeah. always were picking at me. But in, I mean, then I went to a yeah. unit where I got lucky. I went to a unit where a colonel was like, hey, I want three infantry guys, right? Mm-hmm. So dumbest thing ever, um, I had a ranger contract. And mm-hmm. then they were like, hey, well, you get to pick your duty assignment if you if you go right now. Rangers are going to take six months to blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they, they totally got inside my head, right? 19 yeah. years old, just turned 19 in basic or whatever. And I'm like, well, you're going to go to Korea if you don't make it. I'm like, I don't want to go to <laughs> Korea. <laughs> and they were basically just building up the units to send them overseas, right? So 22, <laughs> me and... Uh, 21 other guys, 22 of us from basic were like, we're going to go to the A second. So mm-hmm. we go to the A second. Uh, we could have picked Italy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, a lot of my buddies went to that. They were part of that Restrepo area. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was during that time. But so I go to Fort Bragg, 21 guys out of the 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go to first brigade to go to Iraq. Guess what? Yours truly Fort brigade. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then, this colonel's like, I want three infantry guys. So me and two guys, other guys from like a different basic, but they we all met up same time. Mm-hmm. They they bring us over there, and he's like, Here you go, you're you're infantry. This is your truck now. I'm 19. I have six million dollars worth of equipment signed to my name. I'm in the truck. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the uh, the TC truck commander. You know the shotgun seat, and I'm yeah. saying drive here, go there, shoot there. I got an E4 gunner and an E5 um, <laughs> driver that I'm supposed to tell what to do. But you know what you do? You fake it till you make it. Mm. That's right. I was like, yeah, I got it. And uh, because I worked in that uh, mm. personal security attachment team, like everybody was treated normal. So I didn't have like the hazing that infantry guys get when they're units and all that. Ooh. I just was like yeah. brought up like a regular person. So that's just kind of how I ran things when I got up in rank. I've never like, I've only like 
probably could count five times maybe in my six mm. years um, that I've actually ever had to yell at somebody. And it's mm. scary. Like, I don't like when I yell. Like, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so I get that. And then as far as, like you said, everybody looks like misfits. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, okay, I always wear, like, a polo, jeans, you know, uh, Doc Martin boot, whatever, like kind of preppy you know, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Well, me and some of my buddies from Basic who were like me, mm-hmm. you know, that I, I hung out with, I was like, oh yeah, they're the same. Like we all dress kind of the same. We used to go up to uh, UNC and go party at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And this one guy from my unit, you know, that I just had met, he's kind of cool. I'm like, hey, you got, you want to come? So here we are going to this up to UNC. We're all dressed normal, like the same. Yeah. Here comes this other guy, Ramirez. He comes out, skinny jeans, vans. <laughs> He's got his lip ring in, his hair like over his eye, kind of. They used to hide. And I'm like, where's Ramon's shirt? I'm like, oh, this is, that's right. People dress different when they're out of their uniform. Yeah. And he said, I mean, hey, he said, let's go to the cat's cradle. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For all he the was, punk rock kids out there. Yeah. He had a good time. He had a good time. Yeah. It was like, this is the best night ever. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why. I just I always thought that was I, funny. I was that yeah. I was that guy. I was your Ramirez, like yeah. all in the punk and hardcore and stuff. So uh but yeah, so, not, same thing. Like I was hanging out with cowboys, people listening to country, nope. people listening to rap, like whatever. It was it's truly that was United cool Nations, man. Yeah, it is, man. Yeah. Too like everybody starts getting drunk, man, and then you're like, oh, you guys are a little, a little out there, man. Well, I, I, before my last deployment, I was a staff sergeant, um, and we went out drinking with the, the guys, right? And I knew I couldn't get out of control because I was out with the guys and the whole fraternization thing. But this one club we went to, this like bouncer was like checking people's hands, and this mm-hmm. one guy, Stefan, just the most innocent kid from California. Like when I say innocent, I think you know what I'm saying, like innocent. Yeah. The bouncer turned his back and I grabbed Steph and said, Come over here. He's like, What? He's like, I haven't got my hand yet. I'm like, dude, you're fine. Get over here. And his first <laughs> shot of whiskey he ever took was with me. First shot of alcohol, I'm oh. pretty sure. Hey, because yeah. his hand wasn't standing. I'm like, come on, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so so that that is true now. I, I watched many uh many young men get corrupted and I'm mm-hmm. like, ooh, ooh, I went home on my first like time from Afghanistan. I went home on leave for like two weeks and like my buddies were we wanted like they want to drink. And I was like, You guys don't understand. Like, I know you went to college. I know that, like, I get it, but you don't understand. Like, if you want to drink and you want to keep up, like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And like, boy, they all, they, everybody gets mad at me now. They're they're always like, you don't drink as much as we you. Oh, you don't drink. Finish your beers. And I'm like, this is how the army. This is how the army does it. Okay. <laughs> this yeah, is way yeah. off, This is way off the rails, by the way, gentlemen. Look, sorry. hold, hold yeah, on. The, kind of a- I'm sorry. I will say this, man. When I was in. We got business cards from the battalion commander that were printed. And it actually says like a, a phrase on there that says, if you take me to this address, uh, the, the CQ or the desk officer will pay for the taxi. And Damn. it was to, to help, you know, curb like oh, yeah. GWIs and stuff. Yep. And, and it had like our unit crest printed on it. <laughs> it was like, and they would just give them out. And there, and there was a, like a slush fund or like cash. Yep. That you know, staff duty or CQ would would have on on hand to do that because at that time the army was trying to clean up that that era of soldiers getting drunk and getting in bar fights, and I thought that was so cliche until I went out and I'm like, you guys really do want to fight? Like every time I turn around, yeah. we're we're squaring off with people, and I'm like, how did that happen? You know, you're you find yourself in the middle of a fight, like oh, they're combat engineers, or they're not; they're just regular <laughs> citizens and. Yeah. Whatever. Somebody looked at somebody wrong or what am I? Better not. Better not look at someone the wrong way. Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah. It's the same. And, you know, it's like mean mugging people. But I'm like, 
man, like, why do you cats always want to fight? Like, did y'all not grow up fighting? You know what I mean? Like, didn't you get enough of that before we joined? Like, we can wrestle and and do all that. But, man, like, I don't want to be in a bar in, in some city fighting people left and right. Like, you I don't think know. that's like, bad? We, I was a uh, part of a LERS team, long range reconnaissance yeah. surveillance, mm-hmm. like Charlie Troop, so infantry, right? Mm-hmm. Inside of a cab unit. So mm-hmm. every ball we get drinking, and then all of yeah. a sudden there's three platoons or three, uh, yeah, three platoons are cab scouts and one platoon is infantry. Mm-hmm. And we're and then all of a sudden yeah. you're just mouthing off. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like on the bus ride over to the gala. Like it's it's like there's a there's like fights going on in the back of the bus, just like we had yeah. one kid that was like super good at like karate and taekwondo or something. Mm-hmm. And boy, he, people would mouth off to him. He just kick him. Just break him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think off we're rails here. I yeah. think yeah. we're Sorry way off that. the rails here. Sorry, kid. I've I've even gotten in my army 1990s and 2000 stories, but we'll leave that for another. I've been day. waiting. I've been waiting. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> now, nah, but the book is 12 Warrior Principles to Reclaim and Recalibrate Your Life. Bounce back. I love it, man. Hmm. Really appreciate these publishers too. When I actually get the books that I want to read, a lot of times I get like a ton of books, and I'm like, "Oh man, I don't have time to read like a million books." But this looks like a good one. See, I just do Audible, so someone reads it too. Yeah, right? but that's because I can't really flip the pages with this with this weird hand. But I can do this, <laughs> and I can do this. Oh, oh wow. shit! But um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, the whole the whole thing about the the book was when people asked me how I do it, and I didn't have an answer except for I had to, and then. The reason that I put other people's stories in there is because because I just want to relate to everybody. Um, yeah. I think, like I was just explaining to somebody the other night, like uh, I get invited to the cocktail hour usually before the dinner that I speak at, and this is for a company, Coloplast. They're like really big in the uh, the medical world, and they're and they're doing great. I mean, wonderful. You know, this is like their sales like um, award awards meeting, and they rent this whole nice place out in New Mexico, right? In, you know, whatever, and. I told the one guy, I said, if I would have came to the cocktail hour, maybe two, three people would have said hi to me. Maybe. Everybody would have saw me and kind of shied away like, ugh. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder what happened to him. I'm going to offend him or say the wrong thing. But then after I talk, like once I get off stage and everybody lines up, take a picture with me and hang out because I tell a lot of jokes to make people feel comfortable with me and look past my injuries. And then that's when people really open up, right? And mm-hmm. I don't say this in a negative way, but I become like the world's biggest therapist because everybody wants to re- try to relate to me. So like, oh, I have an uncle that, you know, has hand cut off in a combine. So like, I kind of get what you're going through or, you know, <laughs> right, right. my dog got hit by a car. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but they want to, they want to open up and tell me something to put, show their vulnerability. Cause then they want to ask me like how I do it. Or they want to tell me like, this is what I found. Or this is what I really took away from your presentation today. Or this is, you know, I really need to hear that. And thank you because I've been going through such and such. So. I can't talk to everybody. Um, you know, there's not enough conferences to talk to everybody, but I thought if I wrote a book that covered people's stories that were relatable, that had principles um, and, and showcased how the mind works and things like that, then it would be, uh, it'd be hopefully beneficial. And so far it's, it's, it's doing really well. So I'm very proud of how, how it's come out. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the book and I appreciate your story and you're always welcome to co-host. I don't know. I don't know. We went up, we, me, me and your co-host now went off the rails. We didn't hear you. Like, I'm sure you got to cut like 20 minutes of that out. You're probably like, oh my gosh, guys. No, yeah, I don't but, cut anything. I'll cut out the, uh, I'll cut out one part we already talked about, but that's about it, guys. 
I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Well, that's good because the Taliban they they uh, they just cut them all. They cut it all up, <laughs> you know. But but no, I I appreciate the opportunity. And again, I apologize yeah. for I, I went way too my. You know, it's it's fun talking to guys that that can relate. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, it's it's funny because a lot of my military buddies, I don't talk to them like daily or weekly, even monthly. But then mm-hmm. we'll catch up. You know. Um. And it's just like you never, you know, you didn't miss a beat, and that's 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 really cool, you know. When you guys were kind of when you guys were talking about the the army stories, I was thinking about like, oh, I, I'm, I'm cycling through my head because I joined when I was 20 and 93, yeah, the first time. And then I got when I got recalled, I was what I was an older, I was what, 33 when I got recalled. So it's like, man, I keep thinking about the stories in the 90s and the lures people and yeah, and the stupid. I remember like getting out of my uh, my car and like. I had a Kevlar in the trunk and running around people's cars and just stupid drunk shit. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like it was the, uh, the best of times, you know, and then sometimes with the field yeah. problems and stupid stuff, it was the worst of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and people wonder like, do I, do I recommend the army for people or the military in general? I'm like, yeah, you know what you're getting yourself into though. Like know what you're right. There's over 254 jobs. You can be like a, mm-hmm. you know, a graphic designer, for the military, you can go be on the news um, for the AFN, you know, yeah. on forces network. So I just tell them, absolutely. If my kids want to go, I'll encourage them any way I can, because I think it was a great experience. And the reason that I tell people to hire veterans, if they have a chance in their position, position to hire people, hire veterans, because in the military, you're not allowed to say no, like I can't do that. Right. Like you just, you have mm-hmm. to get the job done, but they have <laughs> yeah. to understand the employer has to understand that uh, only one person in the military has ever stole something from somebody else everybody else is trying to get their stuff back yeah so if you tell a veteran you need this done any way possible you better be ready for what's going to happen yes. <laughs> yeah a lot of things get acquired yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. when you when you go to cif and you're seeing people with a whole bunch of brand new stuff that they had to go up and replace yeah, you know, oh, yeah. What's, been, what's been liberated from them like gore-texes and everything mm-hmm. else oh shit mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah gentlemen, I was- yeah, sorry. I'll go ahead, yeah. Travis. You go ahead, man. I, I was gonna we, say I, a lot of flipples, a lot of flipples going on in my, you know, where they had to like, oh, this got broke or tore up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But oh, I can't shit. remember. We had a scrounge. My second plan, we had to like scrounge for ammo. And mm-hmm. before you know it, me and three other guys just happened to come upon like some crates, and we, yeah. <laughs> we're the most well ammoed <laughs> and suited up, ready yeah. to fight people you've ever met. I mean, grenades, yeah. smalls, law. Small D's, the law, the the AT, we had it all. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean that's what happens. People just somehow leave mm-hmm. things unsecured, and yeah, I mean yeah. you can't leave things unsecured. Nope, it's you your can't. job to acquire it, and it's all the military's. Equipment. When you when you look on social media, they're always like, "Well, someone stole the guide on." I'm like, you know what? They stole the guide on, but they probably stole like a Humvee. They probably stole like a million <laughs> other different things. Yeah, that guy yeah, is the yeah. least <laughs> amount, and I love the. uh I love how the the military went to the experimental uh, MREs to say, like, when someone lost nods or some other sensitive equipment, that's why the battalion got recalled and everything. So, like, oh. what, was this about 10 years ago? You started on social media, be like, yeah, such and such lost the experimental MREs. And I'm like, what is that? Is that like a new MRE? <laughs> and then it took me a while, my dumbass. I'm like, oh, okay, someone lost some nods. Someone lost <laughs> yeah. something yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just some of the smartest and yet some of the dumbest people I've ever met my whole entire life. Ever, ever. I mean, like, I mean, there should really be a podcast about like just people talking about the just who the basic training, minimal. 
don't go past basic training because it gets even worse from there. But the people you experience in basic training. Oh, yeah. My, well, a great reality show would be like, all right, your your job is to whatever, do this. And these are the only items you have. Like, you know, when, when yeah. back then dudes were rolling around like it was Vietnam with the MRE spoon taped oh, yeah. to their chin strap <laughs> so they could yeah, clip yeah. The, the mic, the single yeah, mic, mic on their yeah. head. Yeah. I'm like, we're we're in a military where we can't even figure out how to get a headset. <laughs> You're taping a spoon to a and piece it, of fabric and to it make it work. And it worked. Well, <laughs> yeah, I do dig that. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna be talking for another seven hours because I'm I'm thinking of like my private new with his rock collection. He would just go to the parking lot and just pick up rocks. Go, oh, oh, private pickle, oh, 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 my battle buddy. Look at my my rocks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. I <laughs> He's probably can't. a millionaire now, though. That's he probably is. Man. He invented Minecraft, that video game uh, order, because he dug. Gym. Did you guys ever like throw the Kevlar upside down and just see who could throw rocks into it, like just yeah. to pass time? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. You know, screw social media, and I mean like phones and Xboxes and stuff. It's like, hey, throw your Kevlar over there, bro. Look, I had some cats. I wish I had video footage of it that would do Kevlar bowling at night. You take the Kevlar with the chin strap and you set up beer bottles at the end of the hallway. And then you use the Kevlar as a bowling ball and just shatter beer bottles. And then they'd all pass out and first sergeant (laughs) would come in the next day and the Uh, whole company would get smoked. There's a broken glass every freaking Or how about, uh, or how here's another reality show. The things you find in a barrack shower, like chicken bones and, yeah. Just yeah. Totally. Okay, Jim, we're going to go on for like another seven hours. 